Good morning. It's a Tuesday uh, in September, September 8, 2020. Welcome to the Joe Moran Show. Uh, happy to be here. Hope everybody had an excellent, excellent holiday weekend. If you're here in the United States, and if not, you were back at it yesterday. But we're just getting started here. We're just getting ready to roll. And there's a lot happening. Almost feels chaotic, right? Almost feels a little bit out of control with respect to politics, what's happening between China and the United States from a diplomatic and economic and human rights perspective. Markets are volatile, to say the least. Um, Not only the equity markets, but currencies, Bitcoin, gold, treasuries. There's chaos everywhere. So... Today's show, we're going to talk about the chaos, talk about what's happening in the markets, and continue our discussion on the fiscal stimulus front as Republicans are ready to vote in the Senate uh, this week on a a bill. Um, So we're going to talk about that. And then I also want to talk about a concept that I heard about uh, from Naval Ravikant. And it's this concept of single player versus multiplayer games. And kind of dive into this concept from a employee's perspective, right? If I'm part of a larger organization um, and whether or not I'm going to learn and gain the skills necessary to be competitive in the world, right? So understanding your position and your role in the context of the overall organizations and then does the organization view their position in the market and their objective in the market as a single player versus multiplayer game. Um, Really want to dive into that because I think it's critically important. Um, Everything that I talk about from a organizational perspective, I'm really viewing it not in the eyes of these are what, you know, these are good organizations, these are shitty organizations. I think Organizations have different goals, different objectives, uh, different motivations, different incentives, right? And so what I like to do is I want to think of myself as somebody that's wanting to work in this type of organization. You know, what's the organization structure? What's the culture? What are the investments? What are the variables that are going to make organizations successful in the future? And then myself, as a potential employee of that organization, 
of any organization, could be my own organization, what does that need to look like in order for myself to be successful as a individual, right? In the context of this larger, larger position, right? And we'll dive into that because um, I think it's, I think it's, it's always been critical, and um, you know, critical thought experiment that everybody should go through when they're evaluating companies. But I think it's even more important today, due to all of the changes that are happening within our society. So, first things first, markets. Wow, wow, markets are crazy, right? They've been crazy. They've been going up, 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 up some more. And last week, we uh, news came out that SoftBank has been fairly aggressive in the market, buying calls, right, to related tech companies, and actually holding a $4 billion gain from these call options and were they the ones that ran up the market right and made the tech bubble super frothy or were there other players involved was it the robin hooders was it institutional players uh or was it softbank and mariyashi san uh getting after it right and uh, laying the wood pushing the chips to the middle of the table in order to recover some of these losses, right, that he's had. Um, so it's just been crazy. The market, you know, three, four consecutive days down, right, significantly feeling the pain. Uh, you know, market participants are saying, well, you know, this is just a natural retracement. These things tend to happen. You could have a 10 to 20% retracement. After such a significant just run up in the market, um, you know this is just this is just natural, right? Well, we know that the run up wasn't natural, right? We know that the run up isn't organic. We know this. I mean, we know what happens with quantitative easing, with low interest rates, how that drives asset bubbles in the stock market, uh, and, and frankly, any other asset market, such as real estate, um, treasuries, etc. So we know what that looks like, right? Those aren't organic gains. It isn't because the earnings of those companies are just crushing it. Now, most of those entities and companies are high growth entities. So there aren't a lot of earnings, right? They're banking the valuations on revenue growth. And in a digital world, right, which we're in, we're in a digital world, we can expect those types of companies to have higher valuations. It's just natural, right? In a digital world, technology companies that are either SaaS companies or... Um, 
technology companies like Apple, even if it's hardware driven, uh, you know, cash payments, cashless payments such as Square, um, these type of companies are going to be the benefactors of this of this uh, digital world. So the market is now saying to us, look, guys, we can't go up any higher. We can't keep justifying the increases and you kind of step back and you say, well, why now? What about right now is causing the wavering in the markets? And I think it's pretty simple. Uh, to me, it all has to do with fiscal stimulus. The fiscal stimulus is run dry, right? We've got, a, I think everybody's starting to settle on, hey, we're going to have a K recovery, you know, things went to shit, came back, let's say 50%, and then you got your top 5, 10% are going to continue to do well. And then the remainder is going to go, is just going to continue to continue to struggle. So we got this cave recovery, right? Top 1, top 10% continue to do well, continue to benefit from the cheap rates from the quantitative easing and can capture and really put excess capital to work that they have on their personal balance sheets to take advantage of this asset bubble. And then you have your bottom 50% that can barely eat, barely make it, and they're going to struggle, right? So the fiscal stimulus is run dry. We got this bottom 50 that's starting to feel it, right? Permanent job losses are going up. Every month, that number goes up higher and higher, right? Things aren't going back to normal as quickly as we all hoped. People are still out of work. There were 29 million people receiving some form of unemployment assistance. 14 million on continuous claims. Strip out the bullshit adjustment. Yet over a million people file for claims, new claims last, you know, that was reported last week. So what's happening is you're going to have this huge demand gap, right? No fiscal stimulus, 50%, still struggling, still significant unemployment. Continuous claims is still high, uh, and people can't, they, you know, inflation and grocery is going up, so their bills are getting higher, they can't pay their rent, they got to eat, they got childcare, right? It's fucking chaos, right? And I feel horribly for these individuals. They didn't sign up for this. They didn't know that the federal government was going to fucking bungle the COVID response. They didn't sign up for this. These, these people aren't saying that they don't want to go back to work. But the problem is you're going to have a huge demand gap. Fiscals run out. They're not going back to work fast enough. Permanent job losses keep increasing. And so there's a demand gap. It's 
It's not complicated. It's not complicated. And so the market participants are starting to tell you that there's a demand gap. And these valuations based on future cash flows even if you extend it right extend your time period extend where the growth occurs if it's not in the next 12 to 18 months okay well it's you know 24 to 36 to 48 months out right so even if you change your time horizon in a free cash flow analysis and a discounted cash flow analysis the periods of time that have the most significant impact are the periods that are closest to time zero. And so if the fiscal's running dry, the demand's running dry, then the market's telling you, hey, these valuations are sustainable, so we got to pull back. Got to pull back. There's no other choice. There has to be fiscal stimulus. Look, the Fed's going to do everything they can. They're going to keep doing quantitative easing. Right? We know this. They're going to extend lending facilities, right? States and local governments are going to need it. They don't have the tax revenue. It's fucking chaos. But the market, the market retracement is due to the lack of fiscal stimulus. So the Senate, Mitch McConnell, and all of his wisdom, they're going to vote on a new fiscal package this week. That's the word, right? Let's go save the markets. So let's step back and let's kind of revisit who the players are, what their positions are, and where we go from here. With the understanding that you have a larger election kind of backdrop that is weighing heavily on the calculus of the outcome. So we got Pelosi. She wants a $3 trillion bill. She says $2 trillion is not enough. But she'll compromise the two trillion. They passed a bill months ago, and the Republicans just sat there. Okay, so that's her position. We've already passed a bill. We're ready to go. We don't understand why you're waiting. There's real pain out there. We need to act quickly, and it needs to be a fairly significant size due to the demand gap. That's, that's the Democrat position. That's the Pelosi and Schumer position. That's the position. The McConnell position and the Republican position is, well, all of a sudden, we've given our tax breaks. Now we need to be real fiscal hawks. And this is what the Republicans always do. Right? They only act like they're fiscal hawks and give a shit about the deficit when it's election time. 
But the real problem for Republicans, and and let's be honest, they don't want to do another bill right now, right? And one of the issues they have is the people that don't want to do the bill because they 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 love having this narrative and owning that they're fiscal they're fiscal hawks, right? That is their narrative. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. Everybody acts like it's true and repeats it, even though the facts don't bear it out, but that's their narrative. And so the challenge that McConnell has, he can't even get all of his people in his party to line up, is the people that need reelection need a fiscal bill to pass, right? The people that don't, that aren't seeking re-election, whose term is not up in November, they need to be able to go back to their constituents and say, hey, we're not blowing out the budget, right? The Democrats are all MMT, right? They're all in, right? Just wait till AOC if she's in the next administration. She is going to be spending, spending, spending. Well, the Republicans need to maintain that they're fiscal hawks, right? And some of them don't want to go back to their constituents and say, well, you know, we did a $3 trillion bill already. We want to now do, you know, we, did, we don't want to do a $1.5 trillion. You know, we're trying, to, we're trying to cap the spending levels. And so McConnell is trying to walk a fine line. And then you got the president who for his whole term has really only cared about the market, right? They said our report card is the market. That's all he cares about because he thinks if that market is going up, up, and up, and people are getting wealthier and wealthier, richer and richer, then it helps his reelection chances. And that's all he cares about. And so right now, the market is telling you that, hey, there's real problems out here. The market economy and the real economy are starting to converge. There's going to be a demand gap in the real economy. And so the stock market's pulling back. But with that backdrop, how do we then fit the pieces together? Pelosi's ready to go, right? She wants a sizable bill, probably down access to two trill. The president, seeing that the market is starting to dive and starting to struggle, is going to be feeling the pressure to make a move, whether that's helicopter money. I mean, last, at the end of last week, Trump wants sign off from Congress to dish out an additional $300 billion. Do you think Pelosi's going to give up her leverage? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And so Trump needs to get with the Senate Republicans, need to get to a bill that is probably in excess of $1.5 trillion to get Pelosi's attention. I'm not sure the Republicans can get there, can get the votes for their party. But McConnell, he's going to be pushing a 500 to 750 billion dollar bill this week. Sorry, Mitch, doesn't move the needle. 
it doesn't. Nobody cares. Doesn't bring the heat. You're not going to get the other side of the t- at the table with a 500 to 750 billion dollar bill. It's not going to work. And as the market continues to drop, Trump's pressure on the Republicans is only going to continue to increase. And another factor is the election, right? So Trump, he knows he has to get the market turned around to have any chance, any shot, right? He's going to say, oh, we got the vaccine. It's coming out. Man, bullshit, right? That vaccine's not coming out. He's just saying that because he wants everybody that's a mail-in voter, if that's a Republican, to vote for him on the hopes that there's going to be a vaccine that comes out right before the election, right? So he only cares about his election. Well, as the polls are showing, you know, with Trump down, let's call it 8 to 10%, at what point do the Republicans unhitch their wagon to Trump or try to, right? The voters aren't, in my opinion, aren't going to be able to do that. Right. Since the Republicans have been staunch supporters of Trump, haven't deviated, have been in lockstep with them since day one. But if they if McConnell thinks that Trump is a sinking ship. If he thinks that, if he believes that, if the Republicans believe that, then it actually is going to make it even more difficult to pass the fiscal. Because McConnell I think this is what's probably going through his mind. He's like, okay, which senators that are Republicans up for re-election, are they, do they need to play the fiscal, the fiscal game, fiscal responsible game? Um, do we need to do helicopter money? He's running through and he's saying, okay, I need to get, I need to hold these seats. What do the constituents want? What does the polling look like? And then let's make a decision. They're in a really tough spot. Because the polling is not favorable for them. The polling's not favorable for the Republicans. They could view Trump as a runaway train with no hope of saving. Right? We're two months out of the election cycle. Two months. Two months out. And Trump is going to put it, be putting a lot of pressure on them to get the stimulus bill push through because the market is dropping the market's falling and Pelosi's not going to do a damn thing she's just going to sit here and wait right she has all the leverage in the world all the leverage in the world and she's just going to wait she's just going to wait so it'll be fascinating to watch it all play out I think there's going to be a lot of movement this week as the market continues to drop, uh, it's not going to change. It's not going to go up until there's a bill that's signed, period, period. The market hope phase for there being another fiscal stimulus package that was supposed to arrive at the end of July, hope phase is done, right? They're banking on it not happening. So let's see what happens. 
as I parlay that into the a Bitcoin conversation quickly, so Bitcoin dropped, right? The market pulled back, Bitcoin pulled back fairly significantly. Within the last week, it's down like 16, 18, 20%. Um, but what's fascinating about it is it's actually found a floor, right? So it's it's really just sitting right around the 10, let's call it 10,000 to 10,3, right? This range, right? That's where it's sitting. So as the overall market has dropped and all of the weak hands are out, well, the drop that of the market that caused Bitcoin to drop, right? They're out of the game. And the long-term holders are buying, right? with those previous holders sold. So they're buying and they're actually setting a floor right now at 10,000. And that's very exciting. So as the market continues to drop, Bitcoin's leveled out. So when the market rebounds, boom, goes up. You know, fair value for the overall blockchain network continues to go up. And I'm expecting some very, very exciting things to happen in October. I think we'll be through the fiscal stimulus. The market will rebound. Once the market rebounds, boom. Like a fucking cannon. Because the floor is being established right now. People are buying it like crazy right now every time it drops. And then the other thing that's important to watch. So we got the fair value, which continues to go up. It's about 18000 per coin right now. And it's trading at 10 So huge discount. So we got that piece. The floor is being established, right? The miners aren't putting any more in. The buyers are picking up all of that excess that's being sold out. And the overall supply that's available on the exchanges continues to drop. It's about to break 2.6 million coins. It was at 2.8 million at the halving. So we've already pulled out almost 10%. So the floor is being established and once the market rebounds, once the fiscal comes in, once the NASDAQ starts to go up, up and up, like a fucking slingshot, it'll go up. So very fascinating stuff. You know, one of the other things that's hurt it um, has been the strength in the dollar, hurt Bitcoin. Um, the dollar, really since last Monday, has been on a steady rise. So we talked about it last Monday. We dropped to 91.75 on the DXY. And right now we're at 93.27 a uh, week later. And it actually hit right at 93, almost 93.50 exactly. So dollar has been going up which also puts pressure on Bitcoin, gold, uh, some of those precious metals, right? And, you know, yeah, the dollar's gone up. People are getting excited. Um, on a daily chart, the RSI, which is a momentum indicator, is basically right at 50. So it's, you know, it's recovered nicely from, you know, being at, extreme lows and being considered, you know, significantly oversold, but it's really, tr it's really traded in the same range 
let's call it dating back to early August. It's been in this range. And that range, let's call it, you know, 94 to 91.75, right? And it, you know, even go up a little bit before that, let's call it late July. And so I think it's going to stay in this range. Um, we know that the Fed is going to act, right, because the market's suffering. We know there's, we believe there's going to be fiscal stimulus because the market's suffering. And once that happens, the dollar's going to get hit. It's going to drop. And, you know, the Fed needs to help out our multinationals, and they help and they benefit from a weak dollar. So it's just it's just kind of all part of the same system. You just got to understand the system. So we'll see what happens to the dollar. But really on a daily basis, it's up one, two, three, four, five, six consecutive days. The dollar's up. That's a lot. So we'll see what happens when it eventually reverses. Uh, you know, I think it could be. I think it could be in the next day or two. And I fully anticipate once the fiscal's passed, and I believe it'll be passed because Trump is going to put a lot of pressure on those guys. He's going to put a lot of pressure on them. I think once it's passed, the dollar retraces. One of the other topics that we've talked about is the idea of a cascading currency crisis, right, that happens one country at a time, whether it's Argentina, Zimbabwe, Lebanon, Turkey, Sudan, eventually the dollar, right, as we're in this world of currency debasement, the game of currency debasement. Well, the Turkish lira continues to struggle, and it's at a uh, it's at a low of seven forty eight. So the dollar to the lira seven forty eight. When we had the huge run up uh, in May, it was at seven eighteen. In early August, it was 7.36. And so against the dollar, the lira is getting hammered. And the inflation experienced by these other countries, it compounds, right? So people are losing their purchasing power in Turkey and Istanbul. Well, then they're going to get their they're going to get the they're going to get their stores of value out of that currency. They're going to go put it in gold. They're going to put it in Bitcoin. Right? They're not going to keep it in the lira, right? So, it just compounds, right? It's like a roller coaster. You're going downhill and it just picks up and picks up and picks up speed. And it's just going to be very difficult for these countries uh, to be able to withstand it. So we'll keep tracking the lira um, this this week. And 
unfortunately, I think the trend continues, right? Even if the dollar goes back, even if the dollar starts to pull back against the euro, I believe the lira is going to continue to weaken because you're going to have citizens start to move their assets out. And it just puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the currencies. So I anticipate that to happen. The thing that I'm the most excited to talk about today in the show is this concept of single player versus multiplayer games. So I've been talking a lot about organizations, what do good organizations look like, what do bad organizations look like, what should employees look for, prospective employees look for when they're evaluating organizations. Um, I think it's absolutely critical. It's always critical, right? Fit is always critical. But in a time like this, it's even more critical. Why? Because the world's changing so fast that if an employee or a prospective employee, a recent graduate, somebody that wants to change careers, if you want yourself to be competitive against other future employees, right, other candidates, then you need to pick the right organizations that are going to be successful going forward. doesn't matter how well they did in the past. I would argue that the companies that were most successful in the past, unless they were always playing kind of the long-term game, they're really going to struggle because they're not going to want to adapt to the future environment. And so I think it's really important for individuals to ask themselves, is the organization that I work for, is the organization that I'm evaluating, is this organization playing a multiplayer game or a single player game? Now, it's easier to identify which game, really depending off if it's a public or private company. So private companies, um, and they could even be large, you know, large, large companies, right? Multinational companies, but if they're private, then the shareholders are likely just the executive team. Right, family-owned business. They're the shareholders. Um, that's the likely scenario in a private company. Not always the case, but let's say that's that that captures eighty percent, right? Well, in my opinion, those types of organizations are playing a single-player game, meaning that they only care about returning shareholder value to themselves, right? To the family that owns the entity. That's it, that's all they care about, which is fine. That's their duty, that's their obligation, right? As a corporation and as executives, as a CEO, is to drive value to the shareholders. Now the challenge with that is you're forgetting all of the other stakeholders that are in the business customers, right? Providing an excellent customer experience. Employees. How do we make sure we invest in our employees and give them the tools that they need to be successful? Not only here, but long term. 
And if you invest in employees, then they're going to want to stay, right? And return that value. So you got employees. So we've got shareholders, customers, employees, regulators, right? That's another stakeholder. Private companies, that's one of the reasons why they stay private versus going public is they don't want the oversight. They don't want to deal with the regulation. So they stay, they stay private. They don't want to jack with 10 Qs and 10 Ks and all the additional reporting and oversight that happens from being public. So they stay private. And then vendors. Who are their partners? How do they treat their partners? Well, if they're playing a single player game, they're gonna try to squeeze every drop out of their relationships, out of their partners, just to benefit those shareholders. And as a prospective, as a prospective employee of that type of entity, you need to ask yourself, is this the type of organization that is gonna allow me to continue to grow, first and foremost, grow in my career, give me the skills necessary to be successful. And when we think about skills today versus 30 years ago, this isn't about doing some, you know, deep dive, right, into a quarterly report, you know, to perform credit analysis in Excel, okay? That's easy. It's about the technology. Is this organization investing in technologies that are allow me to learn those technologies? So if I eventually want to change positions or go to a different company, I already know how to use that technology. So I'm competitive in the marketplace. Because private companies that only care about their shareholders, they aren't going to invest in those technologies. And if they're not going to invest in those technologies, then good, bad, or indifferent, you as an individual aren't going to be competitive against other applicants other individuals applying for the same jobs, right? So it's just really important to understand the motivations of the entity and what they care about, right? And if that is going to be a good fit for you, are they playing a multiplayer game or a single player game? A multiplayer game are entities probably public, don't have to be, but probably public, that care about customer experience, doing everything they can for the customer because they know if they do whatever they can for the customer, create a wonderful customer experience, that the benefit that their customer receives means they'll come back and have recurring buys, right? Pretty simple, makes sense. Let's go to another stakeholder, the employees. 
should we invest and in, invest in technologies and resources and education and whatever else our employees need to be successful not because it's going to generate a long-term gain for the organization immediately and it may not return a gain at all but it's the right thing to do for the employees and if i do enough of that as an entity as an organization then enough of those employees will stay that'll reap the benefits as an organization right giving them the tools to be successful that means technology means training means onboarding how do i make my employees successful and that they want to stay i'm not talking about just compensation compensation is important but it's not everything it's not everything three regulators am i doing everything that i can to create a business environment that meets the demands of all of the regulators. This is an environmentally conscious world, right, today. It is a regulation world today. Good, bad, or indifferent, that's what it is. And so am I doing everything that I can from an executive's perspective to put my company in the best position from a regulation standpoint. It could be the difference between an acquisition and not getting a sign-off on an acquisition. It could be that simple. So the regulators are important. They often forget about it. And then their partners and vendors. How do I treat my partners? How do I treat my vendors? When am I in a negotiation? Do I try to make it a win-win? Or do I tr try to squeeze every ounce of blood from that vendor and beat them so badly through the contract negotiation standpoint that they don't want to do business with me again? That I leave such a bad taste in their mouth that I don't want to do business with that company again. In a world with abundant information, in a world with many choices, in a world where you can find out anything about anybody and you understand what they did to be successful, which company do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be part of a single-player game or a multiplayer game? Which company do you think is going to have more success, all things being equal, in the future? One where only thinks, hey, I just give a shit about the shareholders and whether or not they're profitable, or an entity that tries to make everybody a winner by focusing on all stakeholders in achieving greatness and 
give every stakeholder the opportunity to be a winner and participate in the outcome. Which company's going to do better? I think it's pretty obvious. In a world where there are so many choices, where information is abundant, where anybody can do anything that they want because the tools are available, it's the entity that's playing the multiplayer game that is going to have sustained success over the single player shareholder only mindset. 30 years ago, it was a different equation and a different answer because you could control the narrative. But in the age of abundance, you can't control the narrative. The truth comes out. The winning hands played over and over and over again. The right hands played over and over and over again will achieve long-term success versus the ones that focus on a one-and-done strategy. They will. They will. So look for, look for organizations that are multiplayer games. Only participate in activities that are multiplayer games where everybody can participate in the outcome. It's pretty simple. In a world where the internet is the center, it's the multiplayer game that's the winning strategy. And with that, that's going to close our show. Hope everybody enjoyed this Tuesday's version of the Joe Moran Show. I know I did. And until tomorrow... Let's keep our ears to the grindstone.